everybody. Welcome back. Simply amazing. I'm Tim Ryder for Metsmerized. Back with us is the executive editor over at Metsmerized, my good buddy, Mike Mayer. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's good to be here, Tim. Awesome, man. Uh, you've been a bit of a celebrity lately. I guess not not for the for the greatest reasons, but uh, love prevailed in the end. Uh, Mike Mike was uh, featured in a local newspaper uh, article. Actually, the author reached out and touched uh, touched base with myself and friend of the pod, often co-host Jacob Resnick. And uh, I guess you know Mike went through some stuff with COVID, and you know you can check out the article for the whole story. It's a it's quite a detailed one, but uh, again, uh, just everything kind of worked itself out and the love that Mets Twitter showed and all that good stuff. Yeah, it, it certainly it, uh, it made for an interesting end to a crazy year, uh, 2020, that's for sure. Yeah, bright, brighter days ahead, I think. Um, lots, of, lots of stuff still, still uh, moving and shaking on the Mets end. Um, we heard uh, we're going to start right right at the top with the uh, with the big dog. Shout out to Todd Frazier. What's up, buddy? But uh, <laughs> um, uh, Sandy Alderson, Mets team president, was talking with John Heyman on his podcast. That's big time baseball. That was uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Sandy, you know, alluded to the fact that the Mets are still loosely engaged with George Springer, which of course uh, sprung a bunch of jokes. Like, well, what the hell does that mean? But. <laughs> um, you know, at this point in the offseason, uh, there's a lot of posturing. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, doing that whole dance. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll see how it shakes out. Do you still think that the Mets are favorites to land Springer? Or does it seem that way to you? I mean, just probably what, like five, six weeks ago, it seemed all but certain that the Mets were going to get him with Olney and Passan both. Um betting their cars or family farms on the Mets getting them. Um, I mean, I'm less certain now because they, they got Lindor, which is awesome, but they also have fully expect to try to sign Lindor um, long-term. And that that's obviously going to get quite expensive. So you have to start looking at, well, we get Lindor an extension. We get Michael Conford, no extension. Um, then how do, how do you get into another nine-figure deal like Springer? Um, I still think it's possible simply because they can wait it out. I mean, who who else are they battling currently for Springer? The only team we keep hearing is the Blue Jays, and they've shown a lot of interest in a lot of big free agents and still haven't been able to land anyone. So is there some – are players being tentative about wanting to um, – play in Toronto right now um, I think that's perfectly reasonable and we know just from the Cubs selling and other teams selling off pieces, the Indians there's there's not a lot of teams right now that are actively trying to add payroll so it certainly helps the Mets posturing in that regard Oh sure, I think leverage wise, um, especially with the lack of public traction like you were saying, the Blue Jays are pretty much the only team that's been uh, really, you know, consistently linked to Springer. And, you know, there's got to be other interested teams out there just because of the level of player that Springer is. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a like a like just an absolutely perfect fit. Um, 
He's a very capable, above-average defensive center fielder with uh, an extremely potent bat that, um, you know, you hope wasn't totally a mirage, but he had a, uh, an extremely nice season last year. So um, you hope that he's just a, you know, a talented player beyond what happened in Houston. But uh, I think that's an afterthought at this point. Just the pedigree of player that he is and, and the uh, the fit that he brings to this Mets roster that desperately needs a center fielder. Yeah. Um, I just think, I think it's, that's why it's so tough to see the Mets not getting him is because he is, a, he's almost a perfect fit. I mean, obviously you would rather he's a couple of years younger, but they need a, someone who can play center field. Um, I mean, it's not gold Glover in center field, but like you said, he's been above average there which is a huge jump from Nimmo, who's been below average there. So you're taking a pretty big jump defensively, and you're also getting one of the best-hitting outfielders in baseball, too. Um, so, I mean, most days, could you imagine Nimmo, Springer, and Conforto in the outfield? They're, <laughs> that's about as good as it gets. Um, and he's right-handed, so he splits up some of those lefties. So yeah, like you're saying, it's it's tough to imagine a better fit, and really the Mets are holding a lot of the cards unless someone jumps in that we haven't heard of yet. Like, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to, but if the Red Sox decide they want to jump in, it it sounds like that's one of the teams he might be willing to um, come down from. He's a, he grew up a Red Sox fan, so that might be someone that can get him a little cheaper. Um, but yeah, it's. It's tough to see someone else getting them if there's no one else interested. Maybe maybe the Blue Jays get sick of waiting and sign DJ LeMahieu. Then do the Yankees find someone else they want to spend money on? And that Springer, I, I don't know. Um, at this point, it would have to take some other teams to get involved to make me think that he doesn't somehow end up with the Mets. Yeah. No, it's going to, yeah, like you said, the 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 situation is going to have to kind of evolve that more teams are in the mix or the Mets kind of wave the white flag and say, we're out. And they do have backup, like fallback options. Um, you know, I, I'd love to, I don't know how feasible this would be, but even in the short term, um, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Kevin Pillar and kind of let them, I guess, platoon. I mean, Pillar's offense um, is, is certainly brings more to the table than Bradley. Uh, although Bradley had a pretty strong season last year, uh, and even in 2019 wasn't so wasn't so shabby. And um, you know, I think just the defense up the middle would bring just the dynamic that this team kind of needs. Whether there's well, I guess there's a little bit more room on the roster now with uh, Jimenez and Rosario out of the picture. But you know, there's there's options there, and uh, having a a backup plan is nice, but I think Springer's still that number one guy, and that's uh, unquestionable at this point. And to make it fit, you know, you can make moves, but like you said, with Lindor in the mix and extensions on the way for Conforto, and you know that McNeil and Alonzo are going to be in that mix soon, and you have to talk about Syndergaard being uh, extended at some point if he comes back healthy, or at least, you know, think about it. You know, there, there might not be a whole lot of money to go around, but, you know, the Mets have. Batances and, and Familia, especially if they want to go out and look at other relief options, which we'll get to in a second. Um, maybe those guys are, are movable assets. You, you know, 
there's a bunch of ways they can go at this point. I'm sure the Mets front office is kind of doing their due diligence on all fronts. But one of those relief pitchers, which the Mets kind of desperately need, they brought in Stephen Tarpley, who's a nice left-handed option. But he might not really be uh, ready for primetime player, I guess. Good way to put it. Uh, tons of potential. Nasty, off-speed stuff. Uh, curve, slider. Statcast had trouble picking it up and it labeled it a curve last year. Anyway, we'll talk about Stephen Tarpley soon, I promise. But um, Brad Hand, who was inexplicably uh, non-tendered by Cleveland after you know being arguably one of the best relievers in baseball over the past few seasons, um, on the open market, there's been reported traction or contact with the Mets and interest, and this has been on multiple occasions. Uh, another guy who kind of fits the Mets' plans to a T and would really round out that bullpen so well. Uh, do we think hand is a viable option? Or, or, you know, yeah, you know what? That's how I'll word it. Is hand a viable option? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it to me, it's kind of like the Springer thing where it's a perfect fit. Um, the Mets need a lefty in the bullpen, and they also need some back end of the bullpen arms. Um, they still, I mean, Diaz, to me, is still a question mark. Um, he had one really bad season with the Mets and then a good, very small por- portion of a season last year. I, I still struggle with calling it a season when it's only 60 games. Um, but then after him, you have Lugo and... What else do you have? You, there's so many questions in the bullpen, especially at the back end. So I think Hand being a lefty and a guy who has a ton of experience and success um, pitching towards the end of games, I I think he's a really good fit. Um, he did his numbers aren't as good as his ERA indicated last year. Um, he got a little bit lucky last year, um, but I I still think I mean. Now that Hendricks is gone, um, Hand is arguably the best reliever on the market. Um, I was told today that the Mets haven't talked at all to Alex Colome from the White Sox, so uh, free agent now. And he's, I mean, he's probably the third or fourth best uh, free agent relief option. So after that, it kind of makes you think that, well, maybe they are really going to get something done with hand. I mean, Alderson said it himself in one of his press conference that if he had control when hand was on waivers, that he likely would have been a met. So of course, other teams are going to be involved now because that was at one, one year, 10 million. Now I'm sure more teams will get involved for like two years, six, 16 million, something along those lines. But yeah, it, it's it's another situation where it's a really good fit for the Mets. The Mets have shown interest. Alderson's acknowledged interest. So it, it's another one of those things where it'd be kind of a surprise if they didn't sign him at this point. Um, or at least someone similar to him, like uh, Justin Wilson was thrown out there today. Um, I don't, Wilson isn't the same caliber as Hand, but he's pitched pretty well for the Mets the last couple of years. And I, I think that's another guy with the market the way it is. I mean, Archie Bradley got one year, 6 million today. So I think that's the type of deal you're looking at for a solid reliever like that. So it's not nothing that's going to break the bank. You could pro- if you miss out on hand, you could get Wilson and another arm too. So 
there's some lefty options out there. Jake McGee, who I haven't mentioned, um, had a really good year last year. I think he's another guy that they could take a look at. Um, there's some there's some options for left-handed relievers on the market if they do miss out on hand. Yeah, I mean, I think hand is the the market's kind of developing for him. I, I think you know that that one year ten million is probably going to be the number his team's looking for. Um, at, at, at two years, twenty million, and I think that's a worthy. <laughs> that really is a worthy price for him. Whether it fits into the Mets' plans at that number, that that's another question. But um, you know, this is arguably the best slider in baseball. Um, pitcher uh, starters and relievers combined, um, just absolutely nasty pitch. Forty two point six percent whiff uh, whiff rate in twenty nineteen. It's been worth negative twenty five runs since twenty eighteen. This is all <laughs> via Statcast. Just ridiculous pitch and his four seamer, which is a bit inconsistent, but it has you know absolutely nasty side to side movement. Um, I have more stats here. Four four point eight <laughs> inches of horizontal movement above average, which is just an elite mark um, statistically. It's that's just um, you know it's it, when given the proper <clears throat> data and the proper data infused into a game plan, which I think this Mets pitching staff and analytics department is ready or, or preparing themselves to really be able to do. I, you know, this is a guy who can go from great to exceptional, um, you know, it would be over the course of a few weeks, like over the course of spring training with the right eyes and the right coaches in his ear. Uh, just absolutely next level stuff. And um, again, um, if you have to shift the roster around and move some money around, like in my opinion, this is a player that you kind of make that work for. Like if you do have to move out, a Batantis and a Familia, if you could find takers, even if you have to, you know, eat a million on the deal uh, just to get him moved. I think it's still a net positive in the end. I don't have numbers in front of me, but, you know, let a guy like Miguel Castro kind of settle into a role and and see if he can bring in similar value to a Familia who, you know, since he's been back really hasn't brought much. But um, I think Diaz took a big step forward last year. Hopefully he keeps on that track and, Ah, boy, hand would just be a you know that that's a, a a baller win now move like you know Lindor like forget it. I think we're, we're Mets fans are excited justifiably. This is just the start. He's going to be such a player for this team. Um, puts the offense over the top, undoubtedly. And that's even before if you had a Springer. If you had a Springer, this is it's an All Star team. It's 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 something else. It's something to behold and. This is just the start. You shore up the pitching staff and forget about it. But um, assuming Lindor's extension is coming down the road, do you think that three hundred million mark is is really where you know your ceiling? Is it your basement? It, it's you know ten years, three hundred million at first glance seems like a lot of money, but you know you have twenty seven year old shortstop who's just. <sighs> He said it the best himself, I think. he's He wants to be a piece to the puzzle, and boy, that is one golden piece to a puzzle to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I highly doubt that um, Cohen and Alderson and Porter went out and made this splash just to let Lindor hit free agency. Um, I know they've kind of played the game in the media of saying, well, if Lindor signs elsewhere they'll obviously give him a qualifying offer and they'll get that 
compensation pick, but it it just it, it it just wouldn't look right if you make that big deal and then you don't sign him to an extension. I mean, the, it'd still be awesome deal, and Mets are still going to be a favorite this year. But it, every expectation. I mean, even Heyman said it today that it would be a surprise if they didn't sign him. Um, like you said, I it sounds like the Indians were willing to go around 200 and Lindor wanted 300 um, or at least 300. Um, I think, I mean, 10, 10, 300 seems to be close to what we're talking about for a superstar. And that's what Lindor is, is a superstar. Um, Maybe they get creative how you get there. Maybe it's eight years with a couple of different options built in that eventually get you to 10, 300. But, uh, I mean, you're looking at a guy that's going to get $30 million a year, um, and it's going to be an 8- to 10-year deal, I would have to imagine. He's, like you said, he's, he's still only 27, and he hasn't shown any signs of sh- uh, slowing down. Um, one of the things I've been impressed with the most, and it's obviously something you don't see a lot because he played in Cleveland, is just how much the guy's just a ball full of awesome energy um everyone just raves about how he makes everyone better around him he's everyone's looser around him because he's having fun um he cares about the his teammates um i did that article with that um the young lindor super fan i mean they the carmelo is the six-year-old's name he found out that lindor was coming to the mets because he's a lindor fan because of the puerto rican ties and also a mets fan because his dad is a mets fan so it was like this ultimate thing for him and the kid freaked out and it was that night that lindor had his agent reach out to um carmelo to set up talking to him the next day and it's just like that's not something he has to do and it's obviously not something that is winning ball games, but it's also that it's that thought process that got him there that shows that he's going to be a good teammate, that he's going to push these guys, that he's going to help any way he can to win. And that that's what superstars do. It's not just on the field with these type of guys. Um, so I'm irrationally excited about the fact that Lindor could be with the Mets for a very long time. Oh, exactly. This is the guy, you know, this is the guy you want to build around. Now, that extension, assuming that something goes down and putting a number on it now is kind of tough to do, but we have a general idea that it's going to be a, a substantial investment. You know, it it comes down to how does this affect the future? Like we were saying earlier, you have a lot of big decisions regarding the young core coming up in the next few years. Um, again, Lindor is a player you build around, but you know, is this going to cut a, a Pete Alonso out of the picture down the line? Is this going to cut a Jeff McNeil out of the picture down the line? Um, you'd hope not. And under the previous ownership, um, you know, you really almost expected that to happen at some point. And I think now setting the bar at, Hey, everyone's going to be here for the next 10 years. And, and we're going to keep moving forward. Honestly, I think some of these players are too talented and going to command too much on the market to keep everyone here. 
but that kind of I guess that cookie will crumble <laughs> over time and you'll you'll figure out what you have and um I just you know I guess I'm answering my own question. I just don't see an investment in a player like that negatively affecting the future for for the Mets, you know, building that sustainable success that they were talking about early in the offseason. Um, and the same kind of goes for Springer. But that's a it's a large investment in this team that they say that you know they're they're not treating the luxury taxes as a line in the sand, but um, you know I guess repeat offenders do get hit a little bit harder, and what the new CBA might hold for that you don't really know. Um, going over it once this year, or you know even twice, I believe they'll be at ten ten percent or twenty percent, or you know which is nothing. You go ten million over, you pay two million dollars in tax, and um, even for the Wilpons, that's palatable, <laughs> but. You know, you just, you got to, I guess you got to think two steps ahead. But, you know, these aren't, um, they're not really question marks. <laughs> you know, you no, hate to see I a mean, team. Oh, I'm I sorry, mean, go ahead. Lindor is about as close to a sure thing as you can get. So, I mean, like you said, but you have to be, there. there is, there might not be a line in the sand for luxury tax, um, but there's a line in the sand somewhere, so. You can't you can't pay all these guys like after the year, um, Conforto, Syndergaard, and Stroman will all be free agents. Um, I mean, Stroman and Syndergaard are obviously almost must because you they need pitching now, so even less in with pitching. And honestly, before Lin before they traded for Lindor, the big thing Mets fans were screaming for extension wise was for Conforto, which he absolutely deserves um so yeah cohen's obviously going to spend and i don't think he's going to worry about the luxury tax to a certain degree but we've even seen it with other teams that have gone over the luxury tap uh tax a couple of times that eventually they like to get under it um so yeah you, you can't spend wildly and like alderson's talked about you have to try to build a sustainable winner so they they have to kind of find that happy medium where they can get Lindor um, long-term, maybe get a Conforto and then have to choose between Syndergaard or Stroman long-term. Yeah. They, they, I mean, it's fun to think about the, the type of those type of decisions, but it also end up being hard because you you can't just throw a hundred million dollar contracts at everyone. Well, you know, if you're if you're gonna run a four hundred million dollar payroll, you can. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, you know, I don't think Steve Cohen's gonna willing to go that far, and I don't think we could blame him for that. No, not at all. I mean, I'm expecting him to spend, but I, I don't, I don't expect him to get too carried away. I, I think uh, the other owners at some point would get pretty pissed off. <laughs> Right. Oh my! Like at first, you know, at first glance, there must have been a large contingent of MLB owners that were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! This guy's gonna come in and he's gonna just make us look awful." And I think to a certain extent, that's kind of what fuels Cohen's fire. But um, yeah, he can't come in and and just blow everybody away. Like you know, the Dodgers have been spending like crazy, and sure, they have a bunch of consecutive division titles to show for it, but. Um, yeah, I just I don't foresee that. He's just throwing money away. But well, I mean, 
if 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 they let's say they finish out the off season by signing Springer, signing Hand, and signing Kluber. Um, I mean, depending on where, like, and then JT goes back to the Phillies. Um, I think at that point he's kind of making the rest of the owners at at fault of them. I think he's making them look pretty silly because he would have gone out and gotten two of the best players involved uh, available this offseason and went beyond that, McCann and May and Hands and Carrasco. Um, I mean, he's pr- he would pretty much make everyone but Preller and San Diego look pretty pretty stupid. Um, but that that's what they've shown so far, is that they're going to take advantage of um, what's going on right now. I mean, I, I talked to a couple agents this week, and I'm like, do you are you guys getting any movement on your guys yet? And they're like, no. They're like, the owners are in a holding pattern. They do not want to spend because they don't know what, they don't even know what spring training is going to look like yet. And we're a month away from pitchers and catchers or what we is scheduled to be pitchers and catchers. So these owners that are already crying broke are worried about what spring training is going to bring. And then if the season gets pushed back, I mean, we just, there's uncertainty and the billionaire owners are using that to not spend in free agency, um, which is unfortunate, but it, it's, it's helping the Mets right now. Um, Alderson alluded it, to it on the podcast with Heyman. He said he doesn't like to see what's happening in baseball, but it certainly helped the Mets on their end because it's, it's lessening the competition for really good players. Yeah, uh, I think that was kind of expected coming into the offseason. I think that was a big, uh, I guess, a talking point when Cohen took over. Like, oh, you know, he didn't lose money last year. Everyone else did. And I think that those cries of poverty are being a bit overblown. And in some cases, oh, of course, what was the guy in Philly? We lost how much? We I don't even remember the number, but he, he, he threw a crazy number out there. Like, you know, what you lost and, and what you actually didn't make because of the conditions. That's two different things. But Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tough to uh, to imagine that teams are as, as, you know, all teams are as poor as they say they are. There's some teams that are honestly hurting. You know who, you know, we don't have to go through the list, but, um, you know. The Cubs weren't wouldn't have been one of those teams that you would initially put on that list, but you know, look at what they're doing, and um, look at where the Red Sox are, and it's a uh, it's a strange time in baseball, and I think maybe teams might be using what happened last year as a bit of a crutch, and you hate to see that, but uh, again, it kind of works out in favor of the Mets, so um, you know, selfishly, I think we're going to enjoy the spoils here, but. Uh, you do feel for the rest of the league, or at least for fans who, you know, smart fans who know that they're being fed a, a plate of bullshit in some cases. And, uh, you know, hopefully just keep on holding your, your owners and the league accountable because, uh, you know, it's not it's unfair. That's who it's unfair to. It's unfair to the fans. But yeah, I mean, a, what what are the what's the Indians payroll right now? Like, oh, my goodness. It, it's can look it up. It, it's got to be down to I I can't remember what the number was exactly, but they they have no one making any money there anymore. 
they've traded away everyone. They traded away Bauer. They traded away Cleffinger. They traded away Carrasco, Lindor. Um, yeah, they, they don't have anyone making any money there. And this isn't like some team that's rebuilding or you thought should be rebuilding. They've been a good team the last couple of years. Yeah. This isn't they, this they isn't some run. Yeah, this isn't some garbage franchise. I mean, they sold they sold off Cleffinger when they were in the middle of uh, a playoff race. So, th- I mean, that's what you really hate to see. You hate to see um, teams like that that have a chance at winning supposedly have to sell off their best players. Like like you said, it, it's great that the Mets are um, the one that are benefiting from it, but it it's also it's kind of it's a black eye for baseball when two of the superstars in baseball get traded bets and Lindor and back to back off seasons because their teams essentially have already decided they can't afford them. Yeah. Oh, and I I have the numbers in front of me, by the way. Uh, Cleveland has an active payroll of twenty two million, a twenty two point nine million, and they have a a competitive balance tax payroll, which is their AAV, their average annual um, salary values of thirty seven point one million, or thirty seven point two. My apologies. So they have one hundred and fifty four million, almost one hundred fifty five million. In uh, in tax space before hitting that luxury tax, Jeez. so stark opposite of New York. But yeah, yeah. Um, the landscape has has changed, and y- you hope that these teams rebound or um, certain teams. You know, you have to you have to assume that this really really hurt those those low you know, even mid to low market teams or small market teams, I should say. Um, you know, you have to think that teams like the A's and the Rays and the Royals who, you know, during lean times already have a really hard time, I, I, I would imagine, um, kind of keeping that train moving. Um, you know, they're they're taking a beating during times like these. And, you know, MLB, who's a, what, 10, 12, 13, 14 billion dollar a year industry on a regular year, um, how they're not kind of footing the bill. For, for the teams that are hurting, the NBA's doing it. The NBA already said, hey, we're going to help out our smaller market teams to make sure they don't kind of fall by the wayside. How MLB isn't doing this for their teams um, and keeping that competitive balance kind of on the level, it's that's kind of beyond me. It's beyond the freaking pale, but it, it is what it is. And um, you have to well, imagine that. Oh, I'm it, sorry, go ahead. It's no shock to see that the NBA doing something right and MLB currently doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear across the board, outside of the owners, how everyone in baseball, everyone who covers baseball, and I'm assuming the players too, about how they feel about Robert Manfred. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's pretty universally not endured. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, you know, he's a mouthpiece for... The owners. That's his job. That's literally, literally his job description. He now and the commissioner's office is pretty much turned into PR for the owners, and that's yeah. that's what he was. That was his job before he was the commissioner. He was like what their lead counsel, and he pretty much prepared those statements and he looked three steps ahead to make sure of their liabilities and such. And uh, yeah, not not great for the game. Um, I do like that Theo Epstein 
has has joined the. I guess he's in the commissioner's commissioner's office or just the executive branch of MLB. But um, very cool yeah, move. He's going to be looking at um, apparently, from what I read, looking at the rules, um, which has been a constant thing for Manfred trying to change certain rules, and they tried out certain rules. So I, I think he's going to kind of overlook that and. Hopefully, he'll kind of level out some of that. I mean, there, there's some stuff that, I mean, I've been okay with that they've been trying. But it just seems like every year there's something Manfred's trying to change. That's a pretty big deal in Major League Baseball. Um, I, I, I just, I don't want to sound like some old man or anything, but I... I just don't like changing the game that much. Um, I'm not a fan of the three batter rule, for instance. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather that go away. <laughs> Let's go away soon. Let's get that out of here, please. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's a bunch of things that they've, you know, I, I respect them trying. That's very cool. It's admirable. But yeah, something like the three batter rule is just, you know, it's silly. But um. Like, how about the DH? Like, you know, right now it's being pretty much held for ransom. Um, MLB wants to get the okay from the Players Association regarding expanded postseason continuing. And once they get that, they'll get their universal DH, which was already agreed upon last year. Uh, Ken Rosendahl from The Athletics speaking with Danny Vietti of CBS Sports uh, earlier in the week on his pod. Um he he expects it to happen. I guess in my mind, that's good enough for me. But uh, it changes the dynamic of everything. Everything we just talked about. Um, if the Mets have the DH, again, they have so much more freedom. And uh, again, like, how do you feel about the DH? If you you know you're not a fan of changing the game, this is something that's you know it took a while for everyone to kind of. Uh, come to grips with but i think once it was implemented and everyone saw like oh hey this is this is fun like in this it's it's you know it's not changing the game to any certain extent and i dig the strategy thing but um what are your thoughts on it and outside the mets and then of course mets um mets related as well so i used to be a stark no dh person i mean i grew up watching a national league team i grew up watching the the strategy of when you have to take the pitcher out if that changes because he's coming up the next inning um bunting pitchers bunting which has obviously gone downhill um yeah i used to be against it pretty starkly but i didn't admit honestly i didn't miss the pitchers batting last year at all i didn't miss any different strategy I didn't. I didn't miss it. Um, at this point, I think it's just a reality that we're going to have universal DH. Um, so not just tell everyone we have the friggin' thing, so we can stop screwing around with the off season. I mean, like I said, some pitchers and catchers are a month away, and you have guys that could be signing that aren't because half the league doesn't know if they're going to have the DH. Though. At this point, teams are just assuming it. I mean, the Nationals signed Kyle Schwarber. The Mets just <laughs> the, the Mets just signed Jose Martinez when they already have Pete Alonso and Dom Smith and JD Davis. 
So te- teams, National League teams are starting to assume. I mean, you ha- they're showing it with the moves that they're making. They're starting to assume there's going to be a DH. I mean, how many, how many guys could the Mets have on the 40-man roster that are first base DH guys only? I mean, I know Smith and Davis play other positions, but Smith isn't an outfielder and Davis isn't a real third baseman. So, I mean, you can only you can only roster so many of those types on a forty man roster if you don't think you're going to have the DH. Um, so at this point, I just I'm for it, and I think we're going to see it. And let's just get it in there. Let it be permanent. Enough with the wishy washy of going back and forth with it. Let teams be able to plan for how they need to set their rosters because it does, it changes quite a bit. That's another position player that you need. Oh, certainly. And for some, for a team like the Mets, where it gives them so many more options and, you know, JD Davis can now get regular reps or somewhat regular reps. Dom Smith is now in the lineup practically on an everyday basis. However, you want to kind of move around everybody else just makes the Mets a deeper, better team. And, um, yeah, no, and, and and I was the same way. Again, National League team, growing up, um, tradition and nostalgia was holding all of us back. And you know, even before they implemented it last season, I I, I was, I think I wrote a mesmerized article like, hey, I think I'm ready to embrace this. And uh, yeah, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> we could uh, we could certainly enjoy this, and uh, like we said, the Mets will will certainly benefit from it just you got to make it official at some point because you hate to see it being used as a as a ploy to almost extend the inactivity of the offseason it's almost like oh well yeah well this will also keep everybody kind of on their heels and uh you know i let everyone kind of gauge what's happening as we move through the whole pandemic issue and see, you know, let everything come into focus before everyone starts spending money. And I'm sure right before, I guess as we get a better idea, probably over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure we're going to, oh, yes, we're going to have the DH next season. And, uh, you know, it's sure it's just kind of a little conspiracy or a skeptic view, but uh, I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't put it past them for kind of interlocking everything or intertwining everything. Oh, of course. uh, And but like you said, I mean, the thing for me is it's just huge for the Mets because then you I mean, if I'm if it's me, you just tell Pete Alonso that he's going to DH most of the year and you put Dom Smith at first. Um, And then you I'm assuming they're going to sign someone to play center field and then you have Nimmo on left and then Springer, Bradley whoever you put in center field, it just it just makes you so the Mets such a better team defensively to be able to u- utilize that DH. Um, look, I love Alonzo. He's improved defensively, but it's still... Smith is still a significantly better defender at first base than him. And that just makes the overall team a lot better then they've already they improved their defense a little bit um behind the plate mccann even if he slumps back to pre-2020 with his framing he's he's still going to be an improvement over ramos and lindor 
is a gold glover. I mean, Jimenez played well there last year, and he's a good defensive player, but now you, there, there's no question about Lindor's defense there. He's a gold glove type guy, and he's going to be there for every game. So you've already improved up the middle twice. Um, so, and then wh- whoever they really end up, assuming they end up getting a center fielder, whether it's Springer and Bradley in some combination of a right-handed compliment like Pilar or Mriznik, um, Almora, who they mentioned, um, you're going to improve up the middle defensively, which which is a huge thing for this team. So long. I mean, Sandy's even said that he, he kind of deserves some of that blame is that the Mets have just struggled defensively for so long, um, which it, it takes a toll on the pitching staff um, when you have so many guys playing out of position consistently. Oh, for sure. And uh, really, I mean, it does a number of, when you have ground ball pitchers like Marcus Stroman, who's, you know, he kind of relies on ground ball pitching. I believe Carrasco, to a certain extent as well. Um, you know, these guys, <laughs> you need solid defense, especially up the middle. And whoever's playing second, whether it's McNeil, Guillaume, whoever takes that job, um, again, Sterling defense. It's going to be, um, I think it's going to be up to third base, however the Mets want to handle that. And I like McNeil at third base. I like Yorme at third base. And um, again, <laughs> with the DH, you find a spot for Davis because over the course of a season, he will be exposed uh, at third. And I think that's probably his most capable defensive spot. But if you want to focus on defensive liability, uh, on defensive security, um, he's a liability in that situation. So. Uh, again, you find spots for everybody. Um, Nimmo in the corner is much better than Nimmo in center field. Uh, I think his value to the team goes through the roof, and I agree with you 100. Uh, um, I hope Pete, I hope Pete Alonso in, in that situation wouldn't be, you know, discouraged by being a full-time DH or close to it. But again, it makes the Mets a better team with Dom Smith at first because that's just an outstanding glove. And um, his bat has kind of forced its way in, so you got to make that work. But yeah, uh, having too many players has never been a problem for any professional sports team ever. So I, I, I do like what the Mets have do, are doing. I like where they're at right now. And I, I think we could um, – I, I hope that we can expect uh, – uh, a couple more additions before uh, things really start going uh, going off in February. Oh, for sure. I, I I mean, I still think like we've talked about. I regardless of the caliber, maybe it's not Springer, but Alderson has now said twice publicly that the Mets only have two outfielders, so they're certainly gonna add at least one outfielder. Um, they're gonna add a reliever like they've talked about. I think there's still a chance they add a starter, someone, Kluber, Paxton, Hamels, that kind of type where they're going to be on a lower salary deal with some incentives, um, kind of some depth. And I still think there's a possibility they do something in the infield, um, specific, specifically if they kind of missed out on Springer. Maybe they go back to the market um, and try to get someone to play third. I mean, they... Alderson hasn't exactly thrown his weight behind being comfortable with Davis at third, which is which is perfectly reasonable given his defense there. So maybe 
I, I, I still, I chuckle every time I think about the fact of Alderson signing Justin Turner to play third base. Oh, that would be such a move. I, I would, I could really get behind that if we're being honest. Oh, I, I think just, just how the chuckle, how it would be coming full circle of Turner coming back to the Mets and that whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't give him four years, which is what he's reportedly looking for. But I mean, one or two years, I think Turner's still a solid third baseman. Um, there's other options out there too. Like uh, we haven't talked about Kike Hernandez. Uh, he's a he's a type of guy that would fit in well with the Mets too, because uh, he can play. He, yeah. he can play center. He can play third. Um, he he would be a great fit too. Um, well, he's a great fit for a lot of teams, but I mean, two of the spots that we've talked about with center field and third, he can play b- both of them. He can play second. I think second's probably his best spot defensively. So, the fact that you could stick him there and Guillaume or McNeil over to third, um, and he's a right-handed bat, which they've talked about quite a bit that they'd like to get. So, he's another guy that I think has kind of flown under the radar. Um, but I think, I think once the, the, the market's got to pick up at some point, um, it just has to. We saw we saw Bradley sign today. Um, maybe that kind of pushes the reliever market. And they said Kluber could sign soon, so maybe that gets us kind of a push on the pitching market too. But at some point, at some point, we're going to see a flurry of moves. I feel like. Um, once a couple of these guys go, I think that'll kind of hit the dominoes and we, we see a whole flurry of moves. Oh yeah. No, at some point you're right. The levy's going to break and everything's going to kind of, like we were saying, everything's kind of going to just going to fall into place. And um, the teams that are going to be spending, they're going to be making the moves that they've been waiting to make all winter. And yeah, it's going to be um good old fashioned hot stove. But uh, so this is so, as the Mets currently stand now, uh, their NL East odds from Bet Bet Online uh, <laughs> very tight. Well, when your when your long shot is nine to one, yeah, you know, everyone everyone's kind of in the mix. <laughs> but um, so the Braves are up front at three to two favorites. Then it's the Mets at nine to five, the Nationals at eleven to two, the Marlins at fifteen to two. And the Phillies at nine to one. These are all talented teams. I do believe the Marlins are a little bit overranked, um, or their odds are a little off. This is I, agree. I just put my ha- my handicapper Tim hat on, um, <laughs> but we shall see. They played very well last year, but again, you can't trust sixty games in, in most cases. No, so no. Uh, we'll see no, how that goes. But oh, I'm and sorry, like go you're ahead. saying, like you're saying, the Phillies are the long shot, and it's still. I mean, to me, it feels like. At some point, they're just going to get it done with Real Muto, which obviously is a would be a huge boost to their overall roster. Now, I, I don't I don't think the Phillies are still in the uh, conversation with the Mets and Braves, but that Real Muto going back to them just tightens it up even more. Oh, for sure, and he makes the pitching staff better and. And um, I think Wheeler, who had a, a terrific stretch last season, um, he's going to kind of come out and, and he's going to take charge of that rotation. And 
um, there's a good base there. And Harper Harper had a really nice season last year, kind of under the radar because um, the Phillies just weren't all that great. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a if they get hot and if they really play their game, that's a scary team. So yeah, I think it's going to be a tight race. But the NL East is not what most Mets fans are concerned about. It's the World Series. Um, DraftKings has the Mets odds at twelve to one. Before their Lindor trade, they were at sixteen to one. So, you know, clearly making moves. If they go out and you know do grab a Springer or a hand, I'm sure you could see those odds improve even more. And um, exciting times to be a Mets fan. This is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna have to cut us off right there because uh, the little guy's waking up. Oh, no. All right. Mike, everybody knows where to find you. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon, pal. Awesome. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. Later, man. Bye.